You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Good morning. Um, it's lovely to see so many of y'all out here, um, especially as we celebrated some of our graduates this morning, right? Um, and so in the spirit of graduates, and I know that um, a lot of y'all have probably spent a lot of time in the last few days at some graduations, maybe, right? How many of y'all have attended like a, a graduation in the past week or so? Yeah, lots of us, right? Um, and one of the things that happens at a graduation is uh, usually they invite a guest speaker or at least they'll have from the class a valedictorian or, or a salutatorian give a speech. Um, and in those speeches, most of the time, it's mostly their own thoughts, right? But then they include other things like quotes from really prevalent people, maybe from history or just really successful people that, hey, like these guys have made it, so anything that they say must go, right? And so they include these quotes. And so in the spirit of that this morning, I wanted to start with a few of them. And since we're talking about into the unknown, right, and what kind of chapter you're beginning as a graduate, um, whether it's high school or college, whether you're graduating with a master's degree, no matter what it is, it's kind of like a turning point, right? And you're beginning on a new path, something that even though you might think you might know a lot about, you have no idea what it will actually bring, right? And so as we begin, I just wanted to share a couple of these quotes with you. Uh, The first one is, the best thing about the future is that it only comes one day at a time. And that's by Abraham Lincoln. The next one is, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and it looks like work. And that's by Thomas Edison. The next one is, I never look back, darling. It distracts me from the now. From Edna Mode, from The Incredibles. The next one, just because I cannot see it doesn't mean I can't believe it. Jack Skellington, The Nightmare Before Christmas. And finally, when bad things happen, I know you want to believe they are a joke, but sometimes life is scary and dark, and that is why we must find the light. And that's by Bimo from Adventure Time. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with that either. Um, And so the bottom line here is that even as we see, you know, it doesn't matter whether we've got people like Abraham Lincoln or Thomas Edison, um, it's very prevalent in our society to know that, man, the unknown is scary and it's dark. And even these cartoon characters, even these shows that are meant to be lighthearted and fun, they still touch on these topics from time to time because it's, it's absolutely true, right? There's only so much that we can control. There's only so much that we know what's going on around us in our circumstances. And so one thing that I want you guys to remember, no matter what, as you, as you leave today, as you um, leave here from hearing about Into the Unknown, leaving from this graduation Sunday, is this right here. When you have a healthy understanding of who God is, and what he wants for you, you will follow him eagerly into the unknown. And now, as you, as you hear that, remember that there are two parts to this, right? A healthy understanding of both who God is and what he wants for you. And so looking back to these verses that Chris just read from us from James chapter 4, um, 13 through 17, as we look and it begins and it says, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Um, One thing that we have to see as we 
read these verses is that there are a bunch of verses before it, and the context is very important. And so James, not only in this passage, but in his entire letter here, is speaking to an audience that is already made up of people who follow Christ, people who would confess to be believers that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came and lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for their sins, and then he rose again. But that does not mean that they are perfect, right? Just because they are Jesus followers does not mean that they have all their ducks in a row. And I don't know about you guys, but I can, I can relate to that. And so James is writing to them because they are experiencing so many different issues, not just amongst themselves, but also with these warring passions that they have, wanting to still be like the world in some aspects, but also wanting to kind of toe the line and say, oh no, but I do follow Jesus. I just, you know, I need to sort all these things out too. And so the context is so important here. James is speaking to these Christians, and if we look back just a few more verses earlier, um, he talks a lot about submitting to God, about how God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so if we were to summarize everything that he's saying in just this earlier passage, you know, in his answer to you know, all the issues that these people are facing, I think we could narrow it down to just these two points, is that they needed to draw near to God, and secondly, that they needed to humble themselves. And I would argue here even that that first point necessitates the next, right? You're not going to truthfully draw near to God without immediately understanding as you do so that the closer you get to God, just the more humble you have to become, right? Because it's just that immediate realization that, man, this is who God is. And even as I stand here and I start to understand more and more about him, as he begins to reveal himself more and more to me, I realize that there's so much more that I don't understand about him. And that is a humbling realization. As you, as you come face to face with who God is and who you are as a result in his creation. And so next we see, um, jumping back into James 4, those two verses that we just read about how, um, you know, James compares us to mist, pretty much. He says, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Um, and then he says, what is your life? Right, and so as we just heard about this point of humility, right, and having humility, especially when it comes to face um, with who God is and who we are as a result, then I think it paints for us this picture, and James gives us this example of the fact that we're just missed. And not only are we missed in the sense that, um, like, we're here one second and gone the next in light of eternity, in light of God's, God's eternity and how infinite um, he is above us and above everything that we can understand, but also from that, how our limited knowledge and our limited appearance on earth as that mist is very closely connected to how little we understand about what is going on around us in our circumstances. And I think that one issue that we have all too often is that we think that all of our experiences up to this point enable us to feel like, hey, we know what's going on. Right? And yes, that can be true with some respect. Some of us have more experience in other areas um, of life than, than other people, for example, and that enables you to make better decisions. It enables you to uh, go into a situation, a new one, that might be unknown with discernment, especially from the Lord, because he gave you that experience in the first place. Right? But I think that we come to a crossroads when we think that we, all of a sudden, know better than God does. And that is one of the issues that James just addresses immediately. Um, and so not only do we have this here, but I think that all of these problems that they are experiencing, this audience that James is talking to, um, 
it can boil down to this. They seem to have a fundal misunderstanding of who they are in Christ. And so, as we see that he says, what is your life for you remiss that is here one second and vanishes the next, um, what should we take away from this, right? Because that seems like a pretty bleak point to just say, hey, this is what it says and leave it at that. But thankfully, that's not where the story ends, right? James continues, um, and he begins to reveal more and more to us about our actual situation here in God's huge plan for eternity. And what we see is that we can take away my life in every conceivable way is totally and utterly dependent on the will of God. I'm going to say that one more time, just in case anybody needs it, right? Because, I mean, I wrote this, and I, I need it. <laughs> I need it again. My life, in every conceivable way, is totally and utterly dependent on the will of God. Amen. And I think when you repeat that, even if you don't necessarily understand it completely or mean it completely at first when you're repeating that in your head, you'll get to a place, the more you understand who God is, that you'll believe this in your heart. That every single aspect of your being, the breath that you took when you woke up this morning, the first one that you took in a conscious state, the steps that it took to get you out of bed, the ability to drive your car here with your family in it and make it to Piedmont this morning, none of that is possible without God, without his will for your life. And I think that that is one of the fundamental building blocks of what we have to understand if we're going to actually go forward and hear what God wants to say to us. Not just this morning, but for the rest of our lives. I will say, though, as we think about that sentence, that our lives are totally and utterly, completely dependent on God, the danger that can come with that, however, is that if we truly accept that to be the fact, without an emphasis on what God wants for us with respect to who he is, but not putting an emphasis on also what he wants for us because he does have a desire for our lives, right? I mean, we see that in Jeremiah 29, 11, um, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. He has a plan for every single one of us this morning. And if we simply acknowledge that we are completely and utterly dependent on him for every breath that we take without also understanding that there is purpose to each breath that he gives us. There is purpose to the energy that he gives us to take step after step as we go about our daily life and face each new circumstance that he presents us with. If we do that, then I think we still miss the point of stepping out into the unknown as he wants us to, right? Because when he presents us with that situation um, and we are in the danger zone because we're thinking, yeah, I know who God is. He's huge. He's so... Um, vital that it doesn't really matter what I do at all. It doesn't really matter, uh, you know, what decisions I make at all because God is completely in control and he is sovereign. And that is true, but it also leads us to this crossroads where we have to take a step back and say, but I need to be seeking what God wants me to do. I need to be seeking his will for my life because if I don't, it almost leads us to this, um, this mindset that is kind of reminiscent of just jumping into a lazy river, hanging out on a float, and just going along for the ride, right? But that's not, that's not at all how the Bible paints this picture of the Christian life for us. I mean, even Paul, in many of his letters, refers to the Christian life as a race, which is something that is incredibly difficult most of the time. I don't know about you guys, but I don't run for fun unless it's like somebody's like got free food somewhere or <laughs> I'm running from something, right? 
But the, this, this race, thank you for the laugh over there, this, this race is not meant to be an easy thing. If you stand still and you're just content to just stay right where you are, then that race that's going on around you, people are passing you left and right. And this race that has a finish line, you're never going to reach that finish line if you are not moving your feet actively in the direction that God wants you to. And the only way to find out which direction that is is to see the marker signs that God is putting up, to seek them out and actively be aware that, hey, this is where God is leading me to, so this is where I need to be going. So next, I think we could talk about the unknown by itself. What makes the unknown so scary to us, right? Because the unknown is something that is honestly pretty frightening. Um, and one of those reasons is probably because the unknown is unclear. Um, when we think about something uh, that's going on in front of us and we can't really make out what's happening, um, I think of this example because I drive all the time and so, um, especially recently and how foggy it's been recently, I don't know about you guys, but when you're driving and it's foggy outside, it like elevates my stress level way up, right? Because you're, you're seeing what's immediately in front of you, but your lights only help so much. And when you're looking into the thick of the fog and can't see what's going on maybe 50 or 100 yards in front of you, it makes it more difficult to proceed with confidence, right? The confidence that you may have in driving along a road when there isn't that fog separating what is happening from what your eyes can actually perceive. And I think that's a great analogy for what's actually going on when we're stepping out into the unknown. Like there seems to be this fog, this mist that prevents us from knowing exactly what's coming up next. And uh, for a lot of you out there that are probably type A or like to keep things in a planner or like to make sure that you know what's going on and have all your ducks in a row, um, that can be one of the most stressful things about the unknown. The fact that it is just unclear. It's unpredictable. The next part of why the unknown is probably scary for a lot of us is because it is unsettled. And what do I mean when I say it's unsettled? Um, I mean that not only can you not see what's going on in front of you, but there may be things from your past that are going to be related to what is coming at you from the front as well. And so, a lot of times I think that we think just because we're driving on this road and we're leaving things in the past that they're going to stay there. But I can tell you this, like right now, and I, I bet a lot of you probably relate to this, is things that are unresolved often find themselves coming back up in our future, right? You, you can even think that something's been resolved, um, that this issue that you've had with somebody in the past or um, whatever it is that you think, ah, I finally put this to rest. And all of a sudden, here it is right back in front of you. And not only do you feel uncomfortable because of what is already unsettled, but you might feel discouraged in that moment too because you think, I thought I already dealt with this. Um, how can I keep continuing to step out into the known, unknown? How can I keep continuing to push forward when the things that I thought I accomplished or achieved, the things that I thought, um, you know, we're already just a part of my character, like people like to say, right? When things are in your past and you go through suffering and all this stuff, people love to say and come up to you, well, that's building character, right? That's, um, that's helping you deal with what's next. It, it might be discouraging for you to find out that as you're continuing to go along that, man, you're dealing with the same problem over and over and over again. Maybe even like this one example um, of maybe you have a coworker or something like that at your previous job or some issue at your previous job where it made you find a new job. It made you seek out a new job. 
and you get to this new job and you realize, hey, guess what? There's that, not the same coworker you had, but the same kind of person. Like they're, the, they're bringing up the same issues and helping you see that you're not necessarily past this like you thought you were. And then if we continue on, finally, I think the unknown is scary to us because it's uncontrollable. And this might be the biggest one, right? Um, some of you in here, you might not really care about control, and that's, that's great for you. <laughs> but for the others of us in this room that feel like you have to be able to grasp onto things with almost like white knuckles, right? And say like, I'm gonna put this exactly right here where it needs to be, and I know where it is, and that gives me peace inside, right? Um, or to be able to put things on a planner, like I'm not saying to Carson and Camden, I just gave you guys uh, a planner, right? Um, I'm not saying that you can't use that because it's boasting about tomorrow or something like that. If we look at, back at James, um, <laughs> in verse 15, James says, instead you should say this, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Um, I don't think that James is trying to say that if you're keeping a planner, then you are living in sin. Like that is, that's not the point. Uh, because it comes down to a mindset a perspective of knowing that as you're writing things into this planner, as you're putting things on your calendar, as you're writing notes on your fridge about things that you have to do tomorrow, as long as you're doing those things with the understanding that God is sovereign and he can change that whenever he wants and that does not enable you or give you the right to be upset about something changing from, from this to that, I think as you, as you put things on your planner and remember that about who God is and what he wants for us, that he knows best. And so if something changes out of the blue, like that's an opportunity that he has placed in front of you to be able to relinquish control in that situation and be flexible. I, I had a, a missions pastor that I grew up with who, who loved to tell us when we were on mission trips, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape. <laughs> and that's not in the Beatitudes, but I, I feel like the Lord would agree with that, right? Um, especially when it's in this mindset where we're coming to the Lord and saying, listen, if you need to bend me this way or bend me that way, that's okay with me because I'm letting go of what I was holding on to. I'm letting go of the control that I wanted to have in the situation, knowing that maybe I can control this or that, but at the end of the day, it is in the Lord's hands, and that is a freeing realization, I believe. And so what are some of the things that we do know? What we do know about what we can't control, what's unclear, what's unsettled, is that in Philippians 4, 7, it's very clear. We are to be asking the Lord every day that he would give us the peace of God which transcends all understanding so that it would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, right? If that is a prayer that you wake up with every single morning, you can't go wrong, right? I mean, that doesn't mean you're not gonna be faced with some new difficulty, but that gives the Lord an opportunity to show more of his glory as he guides you through that situation. And it shows glory, his glory to the people around you when they see that you're going through this difficult circumstance that you had no control over, that was unclear, that they're looking at you and they're, they're like, man, if I was going through that, I don't have a clue what I'd be doing. But instead, because you had woken up each day and you've prayed this prayer, that God would give you peace in it and would help you relinquish that control over to be able to go through it and say, I still have peace about this because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
I remember his promises to me. And as I continue to draw near to him in his word and through prayer and through the community that I found, not just at church, but in small groups and with other believers that God's placed in my life, that gives you the ability to look at them, those people around you, and say, I still have peace about this. And that is one of the amazing ways that God displays his glory to this lost and broken world around us, through us. And that is an amazing, amazing opportunity that we can miss out on from time to time. But the Lord wants that. He desires that for you because not only does it help you grow closer to him, but it enables you to build treasures in heaven, store them in heaven where, where the treasures matter, not just here on earth. And so what are some of the other things that we know? Um, even though we, <laughs> I don't know anybody who would say that they love the unknown. I mean, even there, though there are people who are more adventurous, per se, than others, um, I don't know anybody who would be like, man, I just love when God throws crazy, unpredictable things at me. But God seems to love it. <laughs> right? I mean, if we look at Scripture, God seems to love throwing these things at people, um, putting them in this situation where they have to completely and utterly depend on him and his will for their life, right? And they have no other choice, right? I mean, they're, they're not left with a lot of wiggle room. And so if we look, for example, um, at Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith, right? Um, because it just lists one after another, all of these great biblical figures who we love to look up to, but in who, who in reality were just people just like us, people that were trusting the Lord. And that's why I think um, the author of Hebrews chooses to use these people is because we know where they came from. We know who they were. And we know at the end of the day, they were not that special. It was God using them that made their stories worthwhile and so if we want to place ourselves in that category, if we at the end of our lives want to be able to join them in the hall of faith, right, and have other people look at our life and say, wow, they were a great vessel used by God. Not because of who they were, not because of where they came from, not because of the beliefs um, or values that they held, but they were a great vessel because of their willingness to be used and because of the surrender of their life that they gave completely over to the Lord. That's what it matters for. And so if we look just at verses eight through 10, for example, the author of Hebrews continues and he says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And so if you don't know too much already about the story of Abraham, Abraham was living in a pagan nation. I mean, technically every nation was pagan back then because uh, the nation of Israel did not exist. And this is the whole reason that God called Abraham out is because he knew that Abraham was going to, by faith, follow the direction that God placed on his life, no matter what it was that God asked him to do. And so at the very beginning of Abraham's story that we're introduced to, Abraham is asked by God to leave his people, leave his land, and know that God wanted to create an entirely new nation out of just him and his family. That is insane to me, right? 
uh, I think sometimes we gloss over that in scripture because we've heard it so many times. You know, we might have heard it in Sunday school growing up or uh, you've just heard it so much. And so we're almost desensitized to the fact that Abraham left his country, left his land, left everything he had, and he went and followed after the Lord as soon as the Lord reached out to him. And I, I think of the picture that it paints um, with almost like this opposition of how other people reacted when Jesus uh, called these other people during his ministry. And these people who were living comfortably, obviously, came up with all of these different kinds of excuses not to go follow him right then and there. Or even some of them were like, okay, I will go follow you. But then they said things like, I need to go say goodbye to my family, or I need to go um, you know, finish planting my crops in a certain way, and then I'll come, I promise, I'll come. And Jesus does not wait for those people. He continues on in his ministry. He continues going and finding new people who will leave everything right then and there and go follow him. And so just like we see Abraham do, one of the things that I think we can recognize from Abraham's story, because Abraham believed it, and so I think that we can believe this, is that God is for us. Abraham believed that God was for him. He believed that even though he was leaving everything he knew, that God was going to provide him a future that would take care of him, that would provide for him, that would lead him to something better than he was already in when he was called out. The second part of that is that we can believe, because Abraham believed anything is possible with him. I don't know if you know this about Abraham, but he was like 80, 90 years old when he finally had this heir that was promised him in Isaac right? Because God is telling him, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Abraham's over here like, I don't have any kids. <laughs> like, how is, that, how is that possible? And Abraham no, had no idea what was going on and no idea how long he was going to have to wait. And neither did Sarah, his wife. But they believed that because the Lord had spoken it, that it was going to come to pass. Maybe not at first. And they had moments of weakness, as I'm sure we all do when God tells us something. But in the end, by faith, God... God showed Abraham that he was not just willing, but more than able to fulfill the promises that he had made to him. And finally, I think from Abraham, we see that now is the time, right? Like I said, Abraham packed up and he went when, when God called him out. Um, and just like Jesus didn't wait for those people who were saying, hey, let me just go do this real quick and then I'm going to come follow you. Now is the time. And now is the time for you right now, whether you are not a Christian or not a believer in this room, you have no idea what I'm talking about, now is the time to surrender your life to the Lord. Now is the time. Whether you are a Christian and you read the Bible every day, you already have a great relationship with the Lord, he's convicted you of sin here and there, you've done what you could to give those up to him, now is the time to step out into the unknown, to step into the next chapter that he is asking you to follow him in, in, in obedience. So what does all of this have to do with stepping into the unknown, right? Um, because we've talked a little bit about Abraham. We've, we've seen from these verses in James that, yes, we don't have any clue what's going on. Yes, we're not here for a very long time. So uh, that, that helps us understand that God is amazing. He's infinite. He's greater than anything we could understand. And it helps us put ourselves in perspective. But what does that have to do with stepping into the unknown? Well, I think that it helps to see uh, that it's less of taking a step into the unknown 
right? Because one way or the other, the only way to move is forward, right? If you're not staying still, you've got to take that step. So it's almost like that's not even up to you. So what does it really mean? It's less of taking that step into the unknown and more of an understanding that God is leading you constantly in a path that only he knows, and that is okay. That is all right. God is leading you down a path where only he knows what waits in store for you, and that is all right. You can wake up, you can think about that, and it doesn't have to send you into full-on panic mode, right? And so I think that along that path, you may experience varying degrees of comfort, right? Just because it's unknown doesn't mean it's always unpleasant what waits in front of us. But one thing that I think from Scripture we see, from the experience that God gives us already, that we can know for a fact that there are things along that path that will be unpleasant, but they will also be worth it when we trust in him, when we ask for that peace that comes only from him, when we lean into the joy that comes from our salvation instead of just waking up full-on panic mode thinking, because I don't know what's going on, I don't have control, and because I don't have control, everything is going to turn out badly. That's not a fair logical assumption, especially when you are a Christian, when you're a believer, you have to know that, man, the less that you have control over, the better, to be honest. I don't know about you guys, but the more I have control over, the more opportunity I have to mess things up very badly. <laughs> um, the more opportunity I have to go in a direction completely opposite from what God is asking me to do with my life. Um, and so I think, above all, that that realization that he's asking us not just to step into the unknown, but to remember that even as we step into the unknown, that he is still God and that he is still in control, I think that that is the most freeing realization of all. To give you a few examples, I think that that is the kind of freedom that Noah experienced, uh, the kind of vindication that he experienced when God told him to build a boat on dry land, when he and all the people around him had never seen rain before. They had no idea what rain was. And God asked him to build a boat on dry land, and he's having all these people come by, and they're all mocking him. Um, they're all saying, like, you are a fool, you're a buffoon. What are you even doing with your life? I think that it might feel like us. Um, we might feel like that at some points when we're thinking to ourselves, man, if I follow God in obedience in this direction that he's giving me, the people around me are not going to understand. And they're, they're going to mock me um, and just generally be mean about it because they don't understand what's going on, and neither do I, so how do I have the faith to step out and do what I feel like God's calling me to do? And we see with Noah, he just did it. He built that boat, and then he experienced that freedom in letting go of his uncertainty, and he experienced that vindication as the rain started to fall. And then we continue on in Scripture, and we see Abraham. We talked about Abraham already, right? But I think it's the kind of freedom that Abraham experienced when God called him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And Isaac had absolutely no clue what was going on. Abraham had absolutely no clue what was going on. All Abraham knew is that this is the son that God had promised me for so long, and now God is asking me to kill him right here on this altar. But what does Abraham do, and what does it say about Abraham in Scripture? Abraham experiences freedom in letting go of control, and it says in Scripture that Abraham 
by faith, had so much belief that God was able to fulfill his promise to him that he supposed that he would just, that God would just raise Isaac from the dead if he really went through with it. And that was a, you, you have to understand, that was a totally new mindset to have in that day too. Like that's just like rain doesn't fall from the sky in Noah's day. People don't just come back to life because God brought them back from the, from the dead in Abraham's day. I think it's the kind of freedom that Joseph experienced while he was sitting in prison after being sold into slavery by his own brothers, knowing that even to die in that prison, having followed God's direction for his life, having been obedient to that, was still a better life than to be free from those chains and living in disobedience. I think even that it might be the kind of freedom that Jesus experienced in the garden as he was praying to his father pleading that that cup would pass over him if that would be possible, if that was in God's will. But as he prayed to his father, pleading above all else for his father's will to be done, even though it would certainly lead to a gruesome death on the cross. And I think that if, if no one else from scripture, Jesus is the example that we are to follow, right? All these other people have shortcomings. All these other people are just like us. We're not supposed to put them on a pedestal but I'm gonna put Jesus on a pedestal. And Jesus relinquished his own will in the moment and said, not my will, but yours be done. And so if we're gonna wake up in the morning and say, God, give me peace, the peace that only comes from you that transcends, transcends all understanding, then in the middle of our day when things are going so completely and utterly wrong, we should pray just as Jesus prayed. Not my will, but yours be done. Even in the unknown, even when we have no idea what's going on. And finally here, I think that there is a, a final thing that we can see about how to step into the unknown, how to not just step into the unknown, but know that God's in control while we do so. And that's to live in the moment that God has placed us in, waiting patiently on his promise to be fulfilled in our lives. And so what do I mean by waiting? I will say that there are two types, notably two types of waiting that can be done. One is passive waiting, and one is active waiting. With passive waiting, this is not always the case, of course, because there are places in scripture that God says to us things like, be still and know that I am God. Like you're not necessarily supposed to be doing anything else in that moment other than knowing that he is God and being still, right? And that is, I, I think, a perfect definition of passive waiting in and of itself. But then there are also times in our lives where we're waiting on something to be done, something in our circumstances to change, when that's not necessarily what God is telling us is going to happen. He's not necessarily saying that he's gonna pull us out of that terrible circumstance that we're in. But what he is telling us is that we have the ability to let him change our hearts in that moment, to see how even that terrible thing that we're going through can be used for his glory. That suffering that we're in can be used to spread his glory to the people around us. And so passive waiting can take the form of or lead to complaining, discontentment, or general negativity in some situations. But active waiting is an acknowledgement from the heart that seeks out every possible opportunity to prepare oneself for what comes next. And I believe that this above all is what God has called us to when we are waiting on what comes next in our life, when we're waiting on what Jesus is going to do next. And so I've, I've heard it said, um, and I think this is a, a great way to put it about active waiting as well, 
that it is a time to cooperate with what God is doing among us while we also prepare for new manifestations of God's promises to us, right? Because if we're to say that we have no idea what's going on, then why can't we take the things that are coming to us that are unpredictable, that are coming straight out of the unknown as things that God is placing directly in our path to help us to trust him more? Things that are, really are building character and building a solid, firm foundation we can stand on where we know that God, yes, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he carried me through this, he'll carry me through that. If we see in scripture again and again all these examples of God carrying these people through these things simply by their faith, not necessarily because they are the man or they know what's going on, but because they are surrendering their lives with, with no fine print involved, they're surrendering their, surrendering their lives to the Lord, then why can't we do the exact same thing? And so how do we actively wait on God? The first thing that I would say is to just pray. Prayer. Um, so cliche, such a Sunday school answer, but that's because it is absolutely right. It's absolutely biblical, and I don't think that we take advantage of prayer enough. I don't know if you do. I know that I certainly don't. I can stand on the stage and say that, oh, I have all the answers, but these are things that God showed me this week. You don't do this enough. This is how you draw near to me. Pray. The next one is to read scripture. Another Sunday school answer. Um, but I think that there are two ways that reading scripture helps us to actively wait on the things that God's promised us. The first is that we draw near to him. This is how God connects with our heart. Not just through prayer, but also helping us to understand that if he's done it in the past, he can do it in the future. The Bible contains example after example of that, of inspiration and motivation for us to take that next step into the unknown. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm not saying that opening the Bible and just reading a verse here or there is going to automatically fix all of your problems, help all of your suffering go away. I'm not even telling you that you're going to understand what you're reading. Most of the most of the time when I read the Bible, like it could have been just upside down and written in wingdings for that matter. And I would have gotten the same amount from it, except for the fact that it is obedience. And even though I might not understand what I'm reading right then and there, God can use that, call it back to my memory in a time in the future where I'm walking in the unknown and things are unclear, they're unsettled, they're uncontrollable. And I can give that to the Lord because he's reminding me of his promises in scripture. And then finally, do what you can with where God is taking you, with where he has planted you and with where he plans for you to go. Even though you have no clue what that might be, he has given you resources around you for you to utilize in that moment, for you to take and use for his purpose, right? And that might be gifts that he's given to you, spiritual gifts that might be um, things that you're, you're better at. You might be better at teaching or better at encouragement or better at simply coming alongside with somebody in hospitality, welcoming them into your life, showing them, hey, this is what I want you to be a part of. And that is, there's so much value in that. Not just for you, but for the people around you, for the people in your community, for the people sitting right next to you right now. God wants to use you where you are, and he wants you to use what he's given you when he takes you to a new place. To not just scramble because you have no idea what's lying in front of you, but to know, I don't know what's in front of me, so I'm gonna take what he's given me already and I'm gonna do with it 
what he's asked me to. And so the last thing I'll say is that we can remember that if your story isn't good yet, if it's in your mind um, not good, it, it might very well be because the Lord only knows, but if your story's not good, then God's not done. And so as we actively wait on his promises, as we follow him and surrender, knowing that he is all we need, that our lives are completely and utterly in every single way dependent on his will for us, then that means that we can let go, experience that freedom that he has for us in that, and experience the joy of our salvation that he has always meant for us to experience, that the the devil tries to take away simply by throwing us into full-on panic mode. But if if you don't allow that to happen, if you ask God for his peace that transcends all understanding, he'll give it to you. He will. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we are so grateful for you, um, for this Sunday where we can uh, take time to recognize all of our graduates, God, and to um, tell them that we're going to come alongside them in this new chapter that they're heading into, God. No matter how different it is from what they've already experienced, Lord, to know that they have a community around them that loves them, that cares for them, that wants to pour into their lives with the things that you've given to us so that we can freely pour out and give to others to show them your glory, to show them your love, and to remind them that they serve a wonderful, amazing, infinite, loving, compassionate God who has great future plans for them, even though they might contain suffering, even though they might contain difficulty, and they very well will. God, to know that if we rely on your peace, if we rely on your joy, and if we rely on your word that you've already given to us, that there is nothing that is impossible with you, that there is no time better than right now to give ourselves completely, solely, and fully over to you, and to know that there is no better place to be than in the unknown when you are holding our hand. And so we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.